Obviously, you've come to the Leading Saints podcast because you love podcasts and you love consuming content in this manner, uh, listening to a pre-recorded conversation or interview or presentation. And we get a lot of good stuff here, but nothing compares to an in-person retreat experience. This is one thing I've learned in the last few years that we are infusing into our Leading Saints content is the need for in-person experiences, also known as retreats. So Leading Saints has started putting on retreats, both for men, women. We're going to play around with couples retreats and we'll try it all. But retreats are a transformational experience. And I implore you to go check out leadingsaints.org slash gathering, where we list all of the upcoming retreats. Some are open to register. Others, you can get on a waiting list. But we would love to have you at the next in-person retreat. Now, if you can't afford it, if there may be, if you price out of these opportunities, don't worry. We have very generous donors willing to put up money for scholarships. So either go there, check it out, register, or apply for a scholarship. And we'd love to have you the next Gathering Saints retreat put on by Leading Saints. So go to leadingsaints.org slash gathering to check out the upcoming Gathering Saints retreats. Before we jump into the content of this episode, I kind of feel it's important that I introduce myself. Now, many of you have been around a long time. You're well familiar with my voice and with Leading Saints as an organization. But if you're not, well, my name is Kurt Frankham, and I am the executive director of Leading Saints and the podcast host. Now, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through, well, content creation like this podcast and many other resources at leadingsaints.org. And uh, we don't act like we have all the answers or know exactly what a leader should do or not do, but we like to explore the concepts of leadership, the science of leadership, what people are researching about leadership, and see how we can apply them to a Latter-day Saint world. So here we go. All right, in this interview, I get the opportunity to talk with Brooke Rasmussen. Brooke, thanks for uh, coming on the, the podcast. Maybe you could just give us a quick synopsis and a minute or less of your background and, and what brings you here today. Sure. Well, I'm here today because I spoke at the women's retreat that Leading Saints just put on. I had the honor and opportunity to speak there and share my ideas about how to bring up to pass Zion through evaluating our relationships. Nice. And you're in the midst of uh, studying for your master's degree and becoming a therapist, right? Yep. I've just got one more semester to have my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. Awesome. And uh, where are you from? Spokane, Washington. So we spent a lot of years overseas with my husband's work for the government and have recently come back to my hometown, Spokane. That's right. You've lived in countries I've never even heard of. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, they do exist. So now in this episode, we actually just recorded it and it is phenomenal. We talk about sort of relationship dynamics and leadership dynamics. So this is for those, I'm just thinking about the, maybe the women out there who felt maybe diminished in their role in, in their ward or in a, in a stake position, or they feel like they never have a seat at the table. What are some of the high points we're going to hit in this, uh, in this discussion, Brooke? We're going to talk about how, as you develop yourself in one arena, it's going to grow you in another arena. So all of our work in our personal relationships is going to help us be better leaders in our professional and our community experiences and our wards. So we're going to kind of blur those lines and see how it all actually comes down to to a pattern that if we can learn to see it, we can grow. Awesome. All right. Here's my interview with Brooke Rasmussen.
Brooke Rasmussen, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Well, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you know, we you are one of our speakers at our recent Gathering Saints Women's Retreat. This was our first retreat, our first go at it. And uh, so we, you know, put an agenda together, had some speakers. You were one of them. And uh, we really didn't know what to expect. And I think it turned out well. What was your experience like just being there? Oh, gosh, I loved it. It was a really great weekend. I mean, the whole package deal from the amazing food that we can't all stop talking about. (laughs) Right. (laughs) To just the the company of being with other great women to really, really great speakers. Yeah. I was really glad I could participate. Just those nuances that really put it over the top of, you know, you know, everybody's still talking about the food, but we probably could have just showed up and fed them and had nothing else planned and people would still rave about it. (laughs) So, uh, but we had some phenomenal speakers. We had some personal reflection time and then, yeah, just the, the conversations late at night that I saw happening between women and, and it was, uh, it was awesome to be there. And you were one of our speakers there. And I mean, I I had never heard you speak before or, or read anything you've written, but I knew, I think people just loved your message. So I'm sitting there as you're wrapping up thinking, all right, we've got to turn this into a podcast episode. And uh, here we are. So we are, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> cool. So I guess we, we sort of have some had some general themes going into the retreat that we wanted to cover. But w- what was your process as far as coming up with this topic? And, and how did you begin to prepare? Hmm. I knew that there was some focus on a theme of building Zion. So I really just kind of let that simmer for a couple of weeks of like, what do I feel like is the message in my heart about what I wish we were doing more to create Zion with? And I just kept coming back to this idea of having everyone at the table, that Zion looks like everyone has a place at the table. And then as I reflected more on, well, where did that thought come from? Why do I feel so strongly about that? I could trace it back to this idea of horizontal versus vertical relationships, that that was the patterning, the relationship lens that helped me believe that I had a place at the table. I think for a long time, I've believed that everyone has a place at the table in general, but it wasn't until I saw this frame of vertical and horizontal relationships that I realized I have a place at the table. Yeah. And this sometimes gets tricky when you're in a hierarchical structure, right? Where there's Uh different levels of authority and presiding and and especially in our faith tradition where we believe in a divine authority and and divine keys, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's so easy. And I think it's just human nature to shift into a horizontal relationship, but it's so easy to shift there, you know, in a leadership role because, hey, I'm the leader. I'm leading you. I'm I'm above and you're below. And, you know, we, we still love you and I'm not trying to be tyrannical, but that's just sort of the, the structure. And so that's the way we're going to do it. But there's maybe more outside that to consider. And I want to make sure we insert here that uh, you're speaking, I mean, obviously as somebody who's well-read and experienced in your own personal life, but you're on your path to becoming a therapist, right? Yeah. I'm just wrapping up my master's degree right now. Just have one more semester and seeing clients as an intern. Cool. So Awesome. And you, you draw upon that a little bit in, uh, I mean, that's typically when and somebody's coming into your office and experience some level of anxiety, it really fits into this message a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. I use this frame quite a bit with clients. Cool. All right, Brick. So maybe just lay the foundation for us. Where do we begin to understand these vertical horizontal relationships and, and how they apply to us in, in leadership? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So essentially we have these two different types of relationships, vertical or horizontal. And We'll talk about horizontal in a minute, I think. Let's just focus on vertical for now. 
vertical relationships are really hardwired into us just because we're human. We are really, I mean, we just do it. We walk into a room and we notice who has more power and who has less, who matters a little more, who matters a little less. We're just kind of wired up for it. There's nothing really essentially wrong with it. I don't want us to pathologize it, but it's definitely worth looking at closer because it can be a real source of anxiety if it's left unconscious. And yeah. if you kind of realize the lens you've got on, can you can work with it. Well, I think our work. earliest memories, right, are of vertical relationships just with our parents, right? We knew Absolutely. that mom was in charge. And as yeah. we grew older, we matured, but then we started maybe projecting that vertical relationship onto, you know, like you said, uh, organizations we're a part of, or when we get a job, okay, he's the boss, I'm the subordinate, you know? Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I don't want it to sound like there's something inherently wrong with any kind of verticalness. Uh, Like we need parents, (laughs) we need leaders. Hierarchy does serve functions. Yeah. So it's it's not that we want to obliterate any kind of hierarchy. It's we just want to be more intentional and conscious about how we're using it. Yeah. And and I love that you emphasize that even when you walk into a room, it may be, you know, just a social gathering and there's just naturally our brain's going to pick out like, okay, he seems like he's running things here. She's Mm-hmm. she's like on the mic a lot or you know, so she's running the show or whatever it is, right? We're just going to yeah. pick up on these cues naturally, maybe subconsciously mm-hmm. about these vertical dynamics that are in the room. Yeah. I'd say that's kind of the essence of what social anxiety is, is when that gets out of control, mm-hmm. when that's like taking up so much brain space that you can't function well otherwise. But even people who don't necessarily call themselves socially anxious do it. Yeah. 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 Love it. Okay. So let's look at if we're vertical, that means that we're in, we're in a position of winners and losers. And there's kind of only two options there. There's a one up and a one down. So when we go one up, that's any kind of superiority move. Like sometimes we do it with name dropping or pulling rank, grabbing moral high ground. We can use shame to go one up, any kind of energy of like, what kind of a person are you? Even where, and, like I'm thinking in a ward council dynamic, where we're sitting in the room, right? Mm-hmm. Who's at the head of the table, you know, which person's in a suit, which person's not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All that can happen when it's like, well, as a former stake president, I think that's uh-huh. pulling yeah, rank. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Some of these are subtle and socially acceptable. And some of them are more egregious and like, what kind of a jerk? But the point <laughs> yeah. is that we all do these to some extent as a way of managing our anxiety of like of holding on to a sense of self we sometimes try to go one up on other people yeah um, and would you say it's sort of the this dynamic of we're we're afraid of being left behind in our tribe maybe that i need to yeah. one up to some extent so that i i can prove that i have a place here right yeah. that, that i'm i'm accepted and 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 that's at the core desire of every human life is I just want to be accepted among, mm-hmm. amongst my group. And so I need a one up even, and again, like you said, sometimes it's done in a, a you know, a, a me monster reference, uh, uh, what's his name? Brian Regan uh, skit, but you know, very egregious and almost like, you know, with your nose turned up to a point where you're just, you just mentioned, Hey, my son's leaving on a mission this weekend. Like, isn't that great that I, yeah. have, you know, and again, not we were saying it with mm-hmm. words, but you're sort of saying, yeah, I've, I'm part of this tribe because my kids go on missions, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. That happens. And even non-verbally, like facial expressions, we can kind of 
grab some power that way, posturing, standing over people. Sometimes we do this with our kids or sometimes this is a tricky part of parenting teenagers that all of a sudden you don't have physical leverage (laughs) (laughs) to pull the one-up position. Being a know-it-all can be a one-up position, talking over people, name-calling of any kind. And like we talked about when we were having the conversation at the retreat, name-calling isn't just you're such a stupid head. It's (laughs) any kind of label (laughs) that makes it easier for us to minimize someone else. So that can look like all kinds of things, whether this individual is less active, right? Yep. And and again, not to say that we can never use these terms or we shouldn't label, but I think it's important to understand the dynamic that is often happening behind the scenes with these, with these Uh labels and terms and what we're doing. Right. Why are you using the label? Yeah. Right. What's it doing for you in the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. The example I used at the retreat was (laughs) kind of an embarrassing one, but I think it illustrates how, how really, subtle and socially acceptable sometimes these can be. And that was using a mimicking voice that sometimes <laughs> yeah. we'll do this. We think it's harmless and it's just to make our stories funnier <laughs> sometimes, uh-huh. but it often serves the purpose of making sure that the listener knows that you are the normal one and the person in the story is the ridiculous one. Right. It sort of turns them in, into a caricature, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have... We might be telling a story about our our mom or our mother-in-law and we use this like judgy voice or we might be telling a story about our teenager and we use this stupid voice like a dog. Come on, mom. That's ridiculous, right? Uh (laughs) Yeah. So that's one that I've really had to call myself out on a lot once I kind of realized that's what I was doing. Yeah. And I really want to double down on the fact that, again, we're not trying to say that we just want to point out that this is going to happen good or bad. This is just part of being human. It doesn't, if you do it, it doesn't mean you're a broken person or you're judgmental or whatever. Like I'm going to do this 30 more times today. I'll probably do some Mm -hmm. of these things because it's part of our human experience of articulating our, our environment, our relationships and things. But it's what we're doing is not necessarily trying to call it out. So it stops and goes away, but to call it out and saying, let's talk about this and recognizing what this is doing to our, especially our leadership relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think once you see the behaviors, then you can start asking yourself more questions about why I'm doing it. Like, do I feel powerless in this relationship? Am I trying to find power? Do I feel out of control? Am I trying to find control? Or am I, am I being lazy, like intellectually lazy in that I don't want to consider other people's viewpoints because that's just hard work emotionally, mm-hmm. intellectually. So it's easier to just cut them down and then I can feel justified. Yeah. I mean, them. I'll tell you what, like being a bishop that has, that's been ordained and set apart with priesthood keys, it is very easy to say, Hey guys, listen, I'm the key holder here. So mm-hmm. we're just going to do it my way. Like I'm open to your perspective and whatnot. Again, not mm-hmm. that we're using these words, but you can see how that can be an easier dynamic than saying, you know, I'm going to actually release control here and try and stimulate revelation amongst my ward council or amongst my ward. And then even if a decision's made that I don't like, I'm going to say, yeah, let's move forward with it. Right there. Those are two different dynamics. And you can see that one is maybe a lot easier, even though it's maybe less effective. Yeah. And that you can check yourself with yeah. looking at what your motivations are. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the other dynamic is, especially if you were raised in a family of origin where these power plays were really common, it might feel safe and comfortable Mm. for you. I guess that's kind of my therapist self pulling that card out, but (laughs) it's true. If if that's what you're used to, that's what's normal, then that's going to feel 
safe, oddly enough, even though a lot of these things that we're talking about are like mean or unpleasant. If that's what you're used to, that's safe. And maybe this is an extreme example, but I think you sometimes see this, especially in the therapist's office of maybe women who grew up in very uh, verbally abusive homes, they sometimes end up with a very verbally abusive husband. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. there's... They were just sort of drawn into that because it's what they know and what they're comfortable with, even though it's on a level of abuse. Yeah. Same dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm glad that you were able to share some some examples where you see have seen it in ward council and stuff. Is there anything else that's come to your mind as we've been uh, talking about these, these last couple of weeks about yeah. going one up? Yeah, about like one up situations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one thing I think uh and they're sometimes they're they have deep roots in our traditions, right? Like mm-hmm. even this tradition we have and something that I've stopped doing, I have it on, well, let me tell you what it is. One thing I've stopped doing is when I go do firesides Mm or I speak somewhere, I've specifically asked the person and I've removed it from my bio to list the previous callings that I've had, like leadership callings, Mm -hmm. right? Like I've been a bishop and a state presidency, right? And obviously we do that to sort of, there's this one up dynamic, like, and this is why you should listen to this person about to speak, right? Mm -hmm. I still include it in some places on the Leading Saints website uh, for other reasons, but we won't get into that. But, and there's still one up reasons, um, but nonetheless, that's, that's one thing we do, right? Mm -hmm. That, and even the feeling of showing up to church on Sunday, right? I want to say, Hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, like. Or mm-hmm. I'm in a suit here, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in a white shirt, right? I'm, I'm one of others. And again, we're not saying that these should be abolished or go away, but just the fact that the bishopric literally sits up on mm-hmm. the, the stand, the podium, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously that it's just sort of acts as a stage and it, it's easier to see and whatnot. But, you know, these traditions we have, there is this one up dynamic. And again, as we get into this, those don't have to go away to fix mm-hmm. that dynamic goes, that goes into it. But anyways, those are some of the, the ones that come to mind. Yeah. And as you're more aware of the things that are there, you can mitigate for them. Yes. You know, if, if you yes. notice the fact that I'm sitting on the stand might make people less likely to engage with me in an authentic mm-hmm. way. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be really intentional about inviting them to engage with me to kind of mitigate this natural power structure mm-hmm. that's there vertically. Yeah. Okay. Then there's one down. Are we ready? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one, it feels a little more complex. because it's maybe a little less obvious, a little more nuanced. We go one down whenever we're taking a victim role. And we take a victim role whenever we're minimizing our choices and acting like we're forced into things. When we hide our needs or desires, we're going one down, saying I'm fine when I'm not fine. Any kind of manipulation is going to be one down there's like a, an innocent victim stance. I'm never enough. I can't do anything right. Quitting early without really giving it a good shot can be going one down, going silent, playing small in general, resentful accommodation. So this is a phrase that some may be more familiar with others, but resentful accommodation essentially means I'll do what you want. I'll accommodate you, but I'll hate you a little bit for it. It's a strong word and that probably makes it a little uncomfortable. Maybe maybe that's a little over the top, but I'll I'll resent you a little for it. Yeah. Resentful accommodation. I hate to say, but if you've been married, you've probably Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We know both sides. I've given it, I've taken it, like it's just Uh there. Yep. (laughs) Also allowing or expecting someone else to do things for you that you know you could do yourself. Mm. It's kind of taking a one down. 
or asking people to emotionally protect you or letting people emotionally protect you. What would be a good example of that one? Oh, gosh. Well, families are rampant with this one where they like, don't tell mom she couldn't handle it. Oh, yeah. Um, Dad will fly off the handle if he finds out where we're, we let our fear of other people's emotions dictate our choices. Mm. And sometimes the person plays into it, like by overreacting to every little thing that's going one down. Like, I don't know, kind of think of old fashioned, like my nerves, my nerves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like a bride and prejudice mom (laughs) (laughs) that just can't handle it. Yeah. But she likes that that gets her out of responsibility of stepping into it and handling it. So she yeah. plays this card of, I can't believe you'd break my heart like that. Kind yeah. Of thing. And very manipulative, right? And yeah. and I'm just thinking in a church context, like even even the sense of like, oh, let's not put a, push a mission too much on the youth or let's not bring it up because we don't want them to feel like, you know, they're, mm. you know, they shouldn't, you know, all those things, those dynamics. We don't want them to feel overwhelmed or that pressured to serve a mission. So let's just not talk about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're sort of playing down in order mm-hmm. to protect others feelings and how they'll respond. Yeah. Anytime we're like keeping the peace in a way that isn't really keeping long-term peace or investing in relationships, it's just yes. reducing conflict in the moment. You're yeah. probably going one down or going along with ideas that you know are bad, but you just don't want to deal with speaking up. Yeah. You know, how often does yeah. that happen in ward council? Like, yeah. It's not until you get home and are whining to your spouse about, you wouldn't believe word counsel today. Yeah. <laughs> and your spouse is kind of thinking, well, why didn't you say that? <laughs> yep. But it, if you're in a one down mindset, it doesn't even occur to you. You just, Ugh, I guess my opinion isn't welcome here in where you just go one down instead of stepping into, I have something to say here. Yeah. Can I give a few that come to mind in a church context or a leadership yeah, yeah. context? Just this playing small, I see it a lot where you deflect like you, when you deflect, maybe there's a, uh, the bishops being released and an individual says, Hey, you would be a good Bishop. And you say, Oh no, not mm-hmm. me. I would be mm-hmm. awful. You wouldn't want, even though you wouldn't be like, you'd be fine, you know, but uh-huh. you're sort of playing it down. Like, Oh, I'm not supposed to want those things like this uh, tradition of avoiding aspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's another way of playing small, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Or being, Self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, there's a role for that. It's sort of fun. But mm-hmm. I think we all know people and sometimes leaders that are so self-deprecating to a point of like, listen, man, like <laughs> you are beating yourself up so much, but it almost feels like you're looking for... You're just fishing empathy. for compliments you're, at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're not that bad, right? Another way I think we go one down is when we blame things on God or on revelation. Like, hey, listen... Uh... Yes. The the bishop came together. We prayed about this, and we feel really strongly that you should be in the elders' quorum presidency. And you know, like mm-hmm. we're again, we're not owning it. We're passing it on to like this is just what God wants. So you can either say no to God or yes to God. Right? Mm-hmm. Very manipulative, right? Yeah, and we do that to ourselves in our relationship with God. Yes. I and mean, that's maybe kind of a whole other conversation. But <laughs> like, I took this job that I didn't really want. We had this baby that we weren't really sure about. Whatever the life decisions are, of course, sometimes God asks things of you that you have to step into that aren't yes. comfortable. Yes. But there's also this room where we just we just blame God and never actually own the choice. And that's yeah. a slippery slope. Yeah. And, and there's another one that, that I've really been intentional not to use is when we act like God is sort of being 
like is toying with our life. Like, yeah. oh, I said that we would never move and well, God had something else in mind, right? And it's like, I don't think God's like up there trying to be like, oh, you think that? Well, watch this, you know? And I, no, 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 no. Like, knock on wood. Yeah, exactly. If you're exactly. going to say that out loud, then here it comes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. You know, you just do the mimicky voice. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brooke, we're just calling each other out here. But. So deep, so deep. <laughs> it was a very meta episode. Yeah, so. yep. very meta. <laughs> Anyways, Anything else with this one down dynamic uh, that, that um, would be worth considering? Yeah, I guess I think, well, what we were able to explore at the women's retreat was specifically how historically women have used this one down spot for power, which sounds maybe funny at first glance because it seems like one up is powerful, but there's power in one down. There's a victim power. And I guess I want to couch that in. That's not blaming women for having done that because historically they've been denied opportunities to um, yeah. be in decision-making roles in their lives. So you do what you got to do. But I think if we're going to try to strive for Zion, it's worth looking at this. That yeah. It's like in that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where the mom <laughs> tells the daughter, the man might be the head, but the woman is the neck and the neck can turn the head any way she wants. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's like funny. We all laugh. Yeah. And that's in like another, another good example of a one down is like in priesthood meeting when you hear men like put their wife on a pedestal. You're like, oh, well, the missus yeah. is in charge, right? Like, you know, again, yeah. we're, we're turning into a victim. Yeah. And I love how you frame it that these are both power positions, or yeah. I would even frame them as that they are both pride positions, right? And we've been commanded to avoid pride. We often think pride is when you think you're better than other people or, but it can also mean when you're sort of this, you know, you're playing small or you're rejecting mm -hmm. opportunities or, or whatnot. Like that's also a prideful position as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not full partnership. It's, mm -hmm. it's not. So yeah, that can get tricky. And then also one down can get tricky because sometimes we like to call it the Christ-like position. Oh, which yes. Is a little muddy. <laughs> Like the submissive, meek, like, uh, I'm not going to push back. Like you walk mm -hmm. all over me because I just want to be nice and like Christ-like, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we often will use the scripture about turning the other cheek to oh, try yes. to justify that. Uh -huh. And that was one thing that I was really excited about sharing with other women was something that I've learned about that verse. And I actually saw this for the first time in Patrick Mason and Daniel Pulsifer's book, Proclaim Peace. Mm-hmm. They got it from a, a man named Walter Wink, but he puts that scripture in cultural context of the way that this slapping <laughs> dynamic works back then. Uh -huh. It wasn't just about if someone hits you, let them hit you again, that there was something there about, okay, so in the culture at the time, you would only use your right hand because the left hand was unclean. So if someone is hitting someone else with their right hand, it's going to be a, a backhand, which a backhand was culturally symbolic of power. So you mm -hmm. would backhand a slave or um, a Roman would backhand a Jew or a, a husband would backhand a wife. It, it was a, a power play more than mm -hmm. an actual physical injury. So, and this is kind of complex. You kind of have to act it out to really understand the dynamics of the right cheek and the right hand and the backhand. But if someone who is being backhanded turns the other cheek, then they're offering the left cheek, which means that the only way they could be hit is with the open hand. Yeah. And an open-handed hit would never happen between like a master and a slave because it would actually be elevating the slave. 
it would be saying that you are my equal. I'm engaging with you like in a, a fistfight of equals. So I just think that really changes the dynamic as we're looking at what is Jesus really asking of us? He's not saying if someone hits you, let them hit you again. He's saying, turn the other cheek so that you are on equal ground with them. Yeah. That it's establishing your dignity as a human being. So that is kind of the the pivot point from looking at vertical relationships of power and one up and one down to what Jesus calls us into, which is a horizontal relationship with the people around us, where there is equal footing, where if there are offenses made, they're done so where between two humans, both deserving of dignity. Yeah, there can be this offense, right? But the the point is, is you're going to turn that cheek and say, I am your equal. You know, I matter. You can't just hit me like a slave because I'm not your slave, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have to hit me with the front of the hand if you're going to hit me because you yeah. can't you can't hit me with the back of your hand. I, I reject that premise. Yeah. I just, I feel like there's so much power in that. Yeah. Just to have that visual to kind of ground us in what it means to be horizontal. Right. And you saw that in the, in just in the life of Jesus Christ, right? Like mm-hmm. he didn't walk into a synagogue and take a seat and say, well, if I could have five minutes of, yeah. <laughs> of the meeting, that would be great. He'd, he walked in there and said, I'm the son of God. You know, mm-hmm. like this is prophecy fulfilled. And uh, that can look like, oh boy, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that to a meeting. But like, no, I'm, I'm turning the cheek. I'm saying I am your equal. In fact, I am God. And you will listen to the message I have to share. Right? This is who I am. Yeah. He didn't, yeah. he didn't apologize for who he was. Yeah. He owned it in every instance. Yeah. I love and, it. Yeah. The call of Christianity isn't a call to be a victim. It's a call to to step into. And, and that, power. I mean, that concept is really, to me, I want it to be at the core of everything leading saint stands for is that leadership is not this role that we submissively fall into. Like, oh, me, like I, I'd never be a good mm-hmm. leader. It's like, no. And this is my position in, in even my local engagement with my ward of, I don't need to be the bishop. But if you're calling a bishop, I better be on the list. Like, mm-hmm. I want to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And, and you know, you don't have to pick me, but I'd be a good one, you know, and I do it my way, sure. Or, or I'd have a I'd have a different approach than maybe others would, but I want to roll in the in the building of the kingdom of God, right? Mm-hmm. I've got skills and I've got experience. Yeah. And I'm sitting at the table. Yeah. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Where should we go from here? So... Like, what does it mean if you, once you start to see these patterns, if you see someone pulling that one up card on you, what does it look like to invite them back to horizontal ground? Gotcha. Yeah. Like, how do we literally turn that cheek and say, you're not going to one down me, you know, and I'm not going to one down you. We're going to be equals here. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this concept is it so fluidly applies to all of our relationships that we can practice this in our marriages. We can practice this as parents. We can practice this with our ward councils and whatever calling we serve in, in the community. And that it's all, it's all the same muscle that as we develop it in one aspect of our lives, it's going to flow into others. So we can kind of get out of this idea of, of lists of things that we have to get good at, of lists of different roles and realize that as I improve just as a person, all these roles are going to get better. So maybe we'll start with the most personal of a marriage situation. Yes. So, this is a true story that I have my husband's permission to share. I'm not throwing him under the bus. <laughs> and I know your husband. He's a phenomenal individual. So <laughs> He's a pretty good guy. 
but we were in a, you know, a, a back and forth. <laughs> we had to use the word fight, an elevated conversation. And we got to that place where I think most people can relate where the tide kind of turns and you're not really talking about the thing anymore. The low blow is made. Uh-huh, <laughs> and, uh-huh. and in our dynamics up to that point, that was kind of our pattern was something hurtful would be said. And then either that invited the other person to say something more hurtful and go one up or invite, invites the other person to, to start crying and go one down. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't believe yeah. you'd say that, you know, lock mm-hmm. yourself in the bathroom, whatever the, the thing you do. <laughs> And I'd been learning about this concept. And so when the tide turned and he said something kind of below the belt and I wanted to just cry really in the moment, just kind of collapse, I held my ground, noticed the dynamic. And I said, I don't think you really mean that. I think that you are really upset and you're hurting and you want me to hurt too right now. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> like, that was just not our normal dynamic for me to call it out like that. And we kind of looked at each other like, now what? <laughs> Took a couple beats, a couple breaths, and then we're able to re-engage in a totally different kind of conversation that wasn't just this back and forth of one person going up, the other person going down, then flipping that person going up, another person going down, or just continually trying to up and up and up each other. It was different. It wasn't horizontal anymore. I mean, it wasn't vertical anymore. Get my words right. We stepped into horizontal and we're able to get back to the actual issue. And when we're in that vertical dynamic, like someone always has to be on top. And so Mm -hmm. you're like battling for that position or you're completely shifting to victim. Like if I can get to the bottom quicker than he can get to the bottom, then I'm going to look like the victim. He'll look like the the perpetrator yeah. and then I win, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there's, this no, there's no place on the vertical dynamic where it's like, okay, we're both even because the minute you get even, it suddenly shifts horizontal. Mm-hmm. And it's never good long-term. It, yeah. Even if you get to a place to end the argument, it's you're never better off for it if you stay in those vertical roles. So that's, that's at the personal level. Like where, how does that look like in my private life? Um, but then it's the same principle at play when you're in a meeting with leaders and you feel like you were bulldozed and you are able to say, I don't think I got a chance to share the way that that would affect the many women in our ward. Oof. There's can, a, right can we come back down. to that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, yeah. it's the same thing. It's just speaking to this dynamic is happening and I'm not going to participate in it. You know, it, I think that's really, really applicable in ward council. How often do we, oh, okay, I guess we're just going with that decision. Just button our lips is that one down. Hmm, Okay, well, Uh (laughs) go home and complain to our spouse about it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's reinforcing the verticalness. You can step into horizontal with that moment of courage and saying, I don't think I had a chance to share. Yeah. and Can I I make sure that's seen? Yeah. And this, these dynamics are, it's really tricky, but it's worth like engaging and trying and cause you can always mm-hmm. try again, right? Cause I can see someone could say, well, oh, I'm going to do that. So I'm going to say, I'm a woman and I don't feel heard in this meeting. Well, that's, mm-hmm. you went, you went one up, right? Like I am this person, right? But to shift it and, and like, I think you, you phrased it perfectly that even if you say it wrong, like you can come back and say, you know, like, wait a minute, I'm sorry. I didn't mean I said that wrong. What I'm meaning is I'm not feeling heard. And I thought I was a member of this council, but mm-hmm. I'm not feeling heard yet, you know? Yeah. And again, it, it shifts and then it goes horizontal that we're all equals here. 
Yeah. And that's a good point that often when I teach people about this, they want me to give them more phrases. Yes, (laughs) That sounded so good. Tell me what I should say in this situation. Tell me what I should say in this situation. But the thing is, I can't tell you the words, but I can teach you how to check yourself. So Mm. if you can check yourself of like, am I just going to try to go one up? Am I going to belittle in the name of trying to get my voice heard? Or can I really step into, I'm not here to belittle. I'm just here to be on equal ground, not one up. Mm -hmm. I don't think I had a chance to share yet. Is it okay if we go back for a second so that I can make sure you hear this perspective? Yes. Yeah. That's so good. And just like, again, you're just like saying what it is. I don't want to belittle anyone. I just want to feel like I'm an equal here. Mm -hmm. So am I an equal here or should I leave? Right. And I love that you said that you might get it wrong and that's okay. Like you, you might shift a little bit to the one up or the one down because that's what we're used to. And that's okay. You can try again. And if it didn't come out just right, you can say, can I say that a different way? Yep. Yeah. It's definitely more of a cadence than a rant or specific phrases that you use. Right. So Mm -hmm. you you can try and and write it down like, oh, I'm going to walk into this meeting and say this, like, but just walk in with the cadence of like, I'm here looking for a horizontal dynamic Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'm going to we're not going to proceed about details until that is set. And then we can move forward as equals. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then sometimes even trickier is to figure out how to react if someone goes one down on you. Like if, oh, yeah. if they're playing the one down card, like when you notice someone saying, I'm fine. Yeah, that's fine. It's no problem. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> With a, a shake of their head that tells you, you know, they're not fine. They're accommodating and they're probably going to like we said, hate you a little bit for it, <laughs> that you can invite them into that equal footing by just calling it out by saying, I heard you say you're fine, but I noticed you shaking your head in a way that makes me wonder if you really are. Do you want to talk about this some more? And the person might say, no, it's fine. And that's their choice. If they want to hold that one down card, that's where they want to be. But you invited them to equal ground yes. by just saying, I noticed this. Do you have more to say? Yeah. What's next here? I guess let's just talk about how anxiety works with this because we talked about how we often will do the power plays or the one downs to relieve anxiety. And we do. But that's not to say that when you step into horizontal, that that's not an anxiety producing situation. Because let me tell you what, like all the situations I've shared have been ones that I've experienced and they're heart racing experiences, you know, in, yeah. in that fight with my husband. I was like, all I could do to just to say, stay there and say that in my own space and to be in meetings like that and just say, can we come back to this? My heart's going crazy. It's not an anxiety free situation at all. There's anxiety there. But I think the point is that anxiety is going to be a part of life. So we can use it to grow or we can just keep finding these release valves. And then we can't harness the anxiety to move us into being a better version of ourselves when we just keep releasing it. And when we go one up or one down, either way, it's just a release valve. When we go horizontal, the anxiety might mount, but it's a tension that pushes us into a better version of ourselves. And it pushes the relationship into a better version of that relationship. Mm, Yeah. So like, I just, I don't want anyone to come away from this conversation thinking it's going to feel warm and cozy <laughs> to step into more horizontal relationships, whether at home or at work or at church. 
it's painful in a way, but it's a pain that is meaningful because it's growing you. Right. Yeah. And just shifting back to a, like a ward council dynamic, like, like we said earlier, it's easier for the bishop to come in and make all the decisions. It's mm-hmm. easier for the primary president just to not say anything and stay quiet the whole meeting and just mm-hmm. nod your head with whatever the bishop wants to do. It's easier to do that. But this is a higher and holier way that stimulates revelation. Like in, in my in my opinion, after understanding the dynamics, like in my opinion, revelation can only be established at the pinnacle with a horizontal identity of that group. Yes. That a horizontal relationship has to be established among everybody. And the minute that gets out of whack and it happens so subtly, right? That suddenly, mm-hmm. oh, we're just kind of leaning on what the bishop says. Like, yeah, the bishop's opinion means a little bit more than maybe the other scorn president's opinion, right? Mm-hmm. We got to correct that and then move forward with making decisions or whatnot. And, and that's just sort of how we check ourselves, right? Like, mm-hmm. is there a horizontal dynamic happening here? Yeah. Is anybody feeling misheard? Is anybody feeling like uh, I'm talking too much or whatever it is? Yeah, which is really at our theological core that we believe in the doctrine of councils and that that's where yes. God's power comes from. Is and and I think council. you highlighted this and hopefully I'm not jumping ahead, but just consider like our tradition and from the beginning of time, literally, like even the plan of salvation was determined on a horizontal council situation. God mm-hmm. didn't come to us and say, this is my plan, get in line, who's going first, mm-hmm. right? He said, here's my plan. What do you think? Like, I obviously don't have the exact verbiage, yeah. but, and he didn't say it, go to the savior and say, you're going to be the savior. He waited for the savior to say, you know what? Here am I, send me, mm-hmm. I will go because I, I collaborative experience. Yes. Yeah. It's a collaborative experience and we've worship a collaborative God. And that's mm-hmm. why I love the tradition and doctrine we have of council meetings and, and revelation coming through the, the practice of council meetings. Right. Mm-hmm. Another part of the way that this influences our roles in a ward, I think, is so often members of the ward council, the leadership in a ward experience burnout. And there's a lot asked of people in those positions and they can feel really drained and put upon pretty easily because a lot's asked of them. But I think it's related to this because you don't get burnt out if you are receiving as much as you're giving. And if you are in a vertical place, you're not able to receive well. Because if you're one up, that means that you're receiving things as accolades on a pedestal, which is a lonely place to be Mm -hmm. and will lead to burnout. Or if you're going one down, you're receiving in the form of head pats and being patronized, (laughs) which is also a lousy place to be. (laughs) And you'll get burnt out. But if you can be on equal footing with the people you're serving with, there's this free flow of giving and receiving that just can't happen if you're always one up or one down. Yeah. Love that. And this burnout is really crucial in because we see it so often in our faith tradition, right? I mean, these are the, in a lay leadership that, you know, there's, you have so many other demands in life. Like if you don't keep this dynamics, you know, horizontal it's got to be a team effort or else it's just going to burn you out. And you see that a lot yep. with, with bishops, you know, my mind goes to the dynamic of the focus on the youth and the delegation to relief society and elders quorum. And there's still like, we have this tradition of sort of this vertical dynamic when it comes to I'm the bishop and you report to me as a relief society and elders quorum president, mm-hmm. but which I mean, on paper, sure. Right. Like with keys and whatever, but to switch that and say, actually we're going to get in the room and we're a team. 
Like mm-hmm. I'm, I've got the youth, you got the elders. Like, what can I do so that you feel more empowered with the elders? Sister Jones, what can I do to, so yeah. that you feel more empowered with the the sisters? Like, how can I get out of your way so that we're all on the same horizontal playing field? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that sometimes decisions are going to have to be made that not everyone's really thrilled about. But I think we all know that there's a difference between someone making edicts and yes. someone in, truly engaging with their counsel. And at the end of the day, maybe you still don't like their decision, but there's a qualitative difference in the way the relationship is handled, regardless of what the actual decision at the end of the day is. Yeah. Yeah. That's really it's helpful. worth it. Yeah. Anything else in, in ter- related to burnout that we haven't hit on? No, I think that's where I mostly wanted to go with it. Just how how much we we don't receive when we're in leadership callings. And sometimes it's it's our own posturing's fault mm. that makes it hard because people are people are trying to give, but if you're posturing yourself as up above or below them, yeah. you, can't, and, you can't receive and it. And don't you see this sometimes a lot in like service? Like we're it's so it's so much easier to give service in that vertical position when you know there's maybe another one yes. up like Oh, you're sick. Like, well, I'm going to like bury you in casseroles. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to be great and you're going to love it. Or, but then when we're the one that needs the casseroles, it's like, I'm I'm not going to tell anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want the attention. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll figure it out type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that you can see how that burnout can happen when you're, you're either always giving or you're never Mm -hmm. receiving. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that doesn't feel good either. Like people feel that vibe. if. If you're giving to them from a place of superiority, yeah, nobody likes that kind of service. <laughs> yep. yep. But it, I guess just like with this issue and so many other things we talked about, it's not the outward behavior as much as the inner intention. Yes. That the same scenario could play out with give, bringing someone dinner when they're sick that could be from a one-up position and it would just probably hurt the relationship more than help it. And the same dinner could be delivered from a horizontal ground of, I love you. And this is a gesture to show it. And it could benefit the relationship deeply. Same gesture, different intentionality, different motivation. Yeah. And that's exactly where I want to reiterate here that this isn't some like sly episode to influence that we abolish all authority or uh-huh. priesthood keys. We're not saying, well, now the bishopric should actually sit in the pews with the rest of us, or we shouldn't have this doctrine of priesthood keys, or there shouldn't be a council of the 12 apostles. They should just be 12 guys who speak every six. Like, we're not saying any of that, right? No. We're saying like, this is an inner intention of mm-hmm. everything we're doing. You can be the bishop with all the authority, with all the keys sitting on the stand and still approach your ward with an inner tension of, we are all Zion here. Mm-hmm. We are all have a place. I want to hear everybody's opinion as much as I can <laughs> with my mm-hmm. mortal limits. Mm-hmm. I want to make decisions with everybody's perspective in mind as much as that is possible. I'm going to be that bishop with the inner intention to be horizontal with everybody. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do we miss, Brooke? Did we cover it all? I mean, that's. I mean, this is uh, your six book series. I'm sure that'll come <laughs> oh, out someday. Right. We'll, we'll cover it all, but. <laughs> Well, and that's what's been really fun ever since the retreat, having a chance to talk with the other women there. Well, that's what's cool about the retreat format in general, that you can have a presentation, introduce an idea, and then you're still spending time with the participants for the next... I mean, I had another two days after I presented to hear the way that people were 
internalizing it and the questions they had about it and where they'd like to dive in deeper. And so, yeah, it's a frame that hopefully is helpful um, for people. And as you think more about this framing, more personal application and questions will come up. And what I love about it is that, you know, and I get the emails at Leading Saints, right? That the tyrannical bishop or stake president or relief study president, and man, if they would just change, how can I get them to listen to Leading Saints so that they begin to embrace these principles? Like what I love about it is you can't just throw the leader on the bus. You can't just say it's his fault or her fault. Mm -hmm. If she just did it right, then we'd be happy again because that's you're going one down. You're becoming the victim. So regardless of where you're at, the calling you have, this is this is what that's so enriching about it is that this is how you can lead is that regardless of where you are, you can stay horizontal. You don't have to go to victim mode. You don't have to go to tyrannical mode. Mm -hmm. You could say, I'm going to, regardless of where I am, how can I go horizontal? And you don't need a calling either. You know, like I had an experience in my stake when we first moved here and I was a nobody. I didn't have even a calling yet. Nobody knew who I was, but there was something at the stake level that really bothered me. And I felt myself going one down. I could tell because I was whining to my husband about it a lot. (laughs) And I knew that I wasn't stepping into horizontal. And for me in that situation, it meant writing a letter and saying, I don't know that you see the way that this thing affected me and people Mm. in my similar situation. I didn't have a calling. Nobody asked me for my opinion. And yet, if I really believed this business of everyone has a seat at the table, why wouldn't they want to hear from me. Why wouldn't I write a letter and just say, this is how I experienced it? Yeah. So helpful. I'm just thinking about that person. Cause I, again, I get these emails of the person saying, Oh, Brooke, you just don't understand. I mean, I appreciate your cute little model here, but uh, <laughs> if you had experience with my Bishop, like I've done the things I've written the letters, I've had the meetings, mm-hmm. I've tried to speak up in this and that meeting. It just doesn't work. And he just refuses to go horizontal. He may is committed to a vertical dynamic in our, our mm-hmm. world. Like, what would you say to that person? I guess I would just say to go back to like that analogy of turn the other cheek, you still might get hit. You can't control other people. They might insist upon the vertical role, but you can make it qualitatively different by stepping into your own space. So the hit still might happen, but it can happen as an equal yeah. and you have control over that. You can't control if they swing at you or not, but you have control over if they do so in a demeaning way, reinforces the dynamic of you being less than them, or you can do so in a way that steps into your own dignity. Yeah. So yeah, it might not change, but the fact that you, you did what you could to invite the other person into horizontal means you changed and the relationship is essentially different. Yeah. Yeah. You may have that tyrannical leader, but that he or she cannot control how you show up on Sundays. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if you do show up on Sundays, unfortunately, right? Like that's the, you don't have to go to church. And, and I hate saying that because of course I want everybody in the pews there on Sunday, but you have the power to set a boundary and say, you're not going to hit me like that, or mm-hmm. you're not going to engage with me like that. So you either don't engage with me or you hear what I say, or you, you know, you, or you move it to horizontal, right? Mm-hmm. As we wrap up, I'm trying to like anticipate all the emails that will, because this is, <laughs> people can take this the wrong way, right? Uh-huh. One, one I think would be worth addressing is you are not saying victims don't exist or any victim mm. in the world of abuse yes. has no argument. In fact, if you're right, there are instances in marriages or even organizations where real abuse and trauma is happening. Mm-hmm. And so 
Yes. Anyways, what, what, what comes to mind? Like for those people who are literally victims of abuse, you know, in a, a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that. Of course, there are real perpetrators and real victims. And there is, I guess I would say there is always some way to find your dignity in it. Mm. And that's the challenge of, of all of us in any situation in any power dynamic is where is there a space for my dignity? How can I respect myself in this horrible situation? There are situations that people are powerless to change, but we can always ask ourselves, how can I respect myself in the way that I respond to it? Yeah. My mind just went to, you think of Elizabeth Smart. I mean, look at the mm -hmm. dignity that mm -hmm. she's found in herself from that experience, that, that long experience that absolutely she was a victim. I mean, there's mm -hmm. no, I mean, yeah. uh, there's no way to describe it any other way, but the way she's carried herself from there is, uh, I mean, there is, she just spills dignity. I mean, it just comes out of her. She's mm -hmm. just a remarkable individual, right? Mm -hmm. Brooke, did we do it? We cover it all? I think so. <laughs> Thanks for giving about, me a um, to talk about it. I can talk about this stuff all the day long. I know. It's <laughs> so good. It gets me excited. So good. And any like, and people ask you this at the end of your presentation, like if people do want to know more about this, and I think, I mean, this isn't just come all from your, your brain, even though you're brilliant, no. Brooke, but uh, <laughs> this is a lot of study and research and whatnot. But if people do want to learn more about this uh, philosophy, this approach, this framing, any resources you would recommend? Yeah. So like in the psychology field, you can trace it back to a guy named Alfred Adler. He's like a contemporary of Freud, but took a very different angle than Freud did. But he kind of introduced this idea of one up and one down. So if anyone's like trying to research, where did this idea come from? That's a great name to go to. There's a book called The Courage to be Disliked. That is a good outline of what Adlerian philosophy is about. A resource that really kind of started me in my journey with this was the work of Jennifer Finlayson Fife. She mm. does quite a bit of work yeah. around this concept in marriage. And what it looks and she like. Is, she is a future guest of Leading the Saints. I want everybody to know. I'm awesome. not I'm not avoiding her. <laughs> I've gotten a few emails like, why haven't you interviewed, interviewed it? We, mm -hmm. We're in talks, okay? It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But she's great. Yeah, she's an awesome resource. Yeah, she's great. And um, a lot of the things we talked about today are themes that come up in her work. And yeah, I, I guess I would say those two are great places to start. Jennifer Van Leysen Fife has a great archive on her website of both classes and interviews that she's done. And that book, The Courage to Be Disliked, is a, a good one. Love it. And I'm just thinking, you know, obviously with most of my interviews, I have a, a specific question I end with. And I just like in the context of this discussion, you know, I typically ask, how has being a leader helped you be a better follower of Jesus Christ? And what I'm really asking there is, how has being a leader helped you discover more horizontal relationships that helps mm -hmm. you become more like Jesus Christ? So anyways, I'm now mm -hmm. confusing and mudding the waters. But <laughs> Brooke, the last question I have for you is just reflecting on your role as a leader, both as as we know that that doesn't necessarily mean with a title, uh, mm -hmm. but just in your, how you show up as a leader in these, in various contexts in your life, how has that helped you become more like Jesus Christ? I think it's helped me, well, maybe I guess I'll turn it a little bit. How has Jesus Christ helped me be a leader? I think it's kind of the same thing, just in inverse, mm -hmm. but just find courage I just look at the life of Jesus Christ as so inspirational to how to step into this courageous space of growth and to see that that is the essence of leadership is to, to let people see you owning your life and being courageous, stepping towards the things that, that need to be said or the, the actions that need to be taken. 
and leadership has a pretty deep connection to those two things. That what what's the point of having leaders if it's not to help help the group have the courage it takes to move to higher ground? And Jesus Christ showed us how to do that. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. Remember, we'd love to have you at our next in-person retreat. Go check out the different options and locations where we're having these at leadingsaints.org slash gathering. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.